November 9th, 2008, is Sawat from Pedro Show.
Thank you.
Um, Watt from Pedro Show. Uh, started off with Softly as in a Morning Sunrise, John Coltrane Live, Village Vanguard. And that was uh, suggested to me by one of our many guests, Brother Matt. We have many yeah, guests in the house. house. Welcome, everybody. And Skip Heller. Libra. Aboard. Libra. And my name is Skip. And, uh, and I love all the women Which of the town? World. <laughs> I'm from here from Inglewood, California. Okay. And uh, then we heard Flood Part 2 by Boris. Now, we got other people. Mr. Bob Styers. We'll start Hello. from the starboard here. Yeah, from Edendale, which is where Silver Lake and Legion Heights and Echo Park come together. That's the 90026 zip code. It's a mic get Miss Pete. Hi. From Galasso Park. Okay. And uh, we have new people. Tanya, yeah. of course, an old veteran of the show. <laughs> Pedro from Anko, but via Pedro. Or Pedro via Manco. Yeah. Pedro via Now, these are two of your uh, compadres. <laughs> Second year anniversary today. Oh. Yeah. yeah. She's Pedro. I was born in Pedro. went to Palos Verdes. Back in Pedro for her. You went from down <laughs> up the hill? Back when does that ever wow. work? <laughs> That's good. And uh, Coco and Matt. Matt. Yeah. And I think you should introduce your... Uh, because last week we had Mark Stangroom, who was a couchsurfing.com, uh, a connected peak appendage, or not appendage, <laughs> what, what was it, a colleague? Sure, uh, I brought uh, Associate, with me what this would you time, call what would you? This, this one is a world-class photographer, okay. uh, Giovanni Del Brenna, is that, did I say that right? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Giovanni. See, say it. You're from? I'm Italian, but yeah. I do live in France, so yeah. that may be why she said the word. Uh, <laughs> what part of Italy? I'm born in Genoa. Yeah, okay. Near France. Near France, yeah. In fact, I think Genoa kind of Italian version of Geneva. Uh, it's pretty far yeah. away, but... Yeah, I know, people, I know, but the name... Yeah, people just mix them up. Okay. They have a lot more money than us. <laughs> <laughs> Genoa, I found, uh, had the closest weather. To SoCal, of really? Europe. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty nice weather. By the water, and it's not water. too cold, not that's too hot. What, that's what yeah. Phil Alvin says. He yeah. said it was, you know. Man, if I you felt got, right at home here. If you got <laughs> Phil Alvin corroborating your idea. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so we got a full house, and, and somebody's on the way? Shiny. Shiny. Right. In room. So we won't speak for her. She bringing her pieces of cellophane? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what she's got going on. We got a surveys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bob, thanks so much. Well, Let's get some distribution. You, late, you have to. Can you catch? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, now, Skip. Yeah. You uh, just came in from West Virginia. I was just yes. in West Virginia. Yeah, because you are a working musician. Yeah, actually, this week I was a working awards presenter. I was inducting Robert Drasden. who's a great film and music film and television music composer into the West Virginia Music Hall of Fame. So I got to give the speech whereby they inducted him, which was great, but I got to hang out with Cowboy Jack Clement, who produced all the Johnny Cash stuff on Sun. Which town? This is in Charlie West, Charleston, West Virginia. Yeah, right, the big town. He was there presenting uh, the the same award and doing the induction for Frankie Yankovic, who was the first million-selling polka artist. 
and uh, the the whites were there. You know, not not the clan whites, <laughs> but the um, the uh, the country singing group. You know, the family yeah, group, yeah. and they were inducting Stony Cooper and Wilma Lee, and they were fantastic. And Peter Rowan was there, and Peter Rowan was inducting the Lilly Brothers. And wow. I got to I got to pick with Peter Rowan, and he was staggering. Huh. Yeah, he was amazing. Did you drink any shine? Uh, you know, there was shine all over the place, but I've, uh, I have been, uh, I have been uh, alcohol-free since 1992. Ah, um, so shineless. So, yeah, I was shineless. So I just took pictures and uh, got people to buy me dinner based on the content of those pictures. That wow. Was, oh, when you uh, worked with the uh, intro. Uh, yeah, it's, actually, I'll tell you, man, uh, I wrote my thing over and over about nine times, finally delivered it. Cowboy Jack Clement sees like the vignette, the video thing they show beforehand. He goes, "Well, I don't know what to tell you now because everything I wrote down, they already said." So uh, Frank liked hot soup, hotter <laughs> soup than I ever saw. And everybody, he, he's talking like up right off the top of his head for three minutes, and everybody's just sitting there wrapped. It just, didn't mean, <laughs> matter what kind of soup it was; it just had to be hot. It just that was he said he didn't care what kind of soup it was; it just uh, had to be hot. What about kidney filter? <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't really ask about kidney filter. I didn't have any questions about the renal system as a general thing. But, but Cowboy Jack Clement might be the coolest white person I have ever seen. Oh, respect. Much, much respect. I mean, he was the guy who, he produced more great records, and he's had, he's one of the few men that's been made by longevity and not ruined by it. And uh, you got some 78s? Was it on this trip? Uh, no, it wasn't on this trip. Um, it was here in town? I was here in town. Actually, what I did was I scored over at uh, Mr. Phil Alvin's house. Right, some 78s, right? Yeah. Only the first 200. Yeah, only the first 200 out of about 800. But these were the 200 that he deemed necessary. And when, you know, those of you who know your your L.A. music know that the Blasters know a few things about necessary old records. As as what I say, so did most of the groups that were really good. You know, the the L.A. punk bands I came up on had a better historical grasp. You know Carlos Cotarlos? Yeah, sure. Because he's been a guest on the show. Mm. Oh. <laughs> he had kind of a grasp. Uh, well, that's because he has big hands. <laughs> Graspable. He's also got the heaviest strings on his guitar of any yeah. human being. Yeah. You know, he just goes out to bridge and just tears cables off with his bare hands. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Oh, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, you raised here? No, I was raised in Philadelphia. You know, oh, so wow. Coltrane lived there a while. Yeah, Coltrane, Coltrane lived in Did North he? Philly. Um, right, I went to his house this trip. Yeah, and, you know, I've met Cousin, Cousin Mary. Cousin living there. Yeah. You I'm, met her? I've met Cousin I Mary. I was afraid. Yes, you know, I wanted to come up to the door, but I thought, she don't need another. Yeah, I played uh, <laughs> I played at some at the some Mount Airy Jazz Festival or something like that. I forget what it was. It was in Mount Airy, and they were giving her some kind of uh, plaque or something, you know, for, for caretaking the house. because. Yeah. It is an important thing. Yeah. Although the one that I got to say is just the most. I was like had a lump in my throat and crying. Was going to Louis Armstrong's house in Queens. Yeah. Which has been restored to the condition it was, the furnishings, the whole thing, as when he was alive. And that's just a beautiful place. I mean, I'm not a religious man, but that was as close to a temple as I've ever walked into. Yeah. You know, that was big for me. Louis Armstrong is the spirit of all our American music in so many ways. He's good. Yeah, he was a good. Lot of Malta. <laughs> well, you know the that's Nixon I heard story, every right? day. That voice. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the gravelly voice. 
It's, it's he's cool people. Him. You he, read the Miles uh, autobiography? Yeah. And he kind of bums on Satchmo with a smile. Yeah, and I just, all I can think is Satchmo had that thing, and Dizzy had this thing too, where, I mean, it could not have been all that fun to be black during that period in history. <laughs> You know, because look at it this way. You can't even eat what you want. You eat what you can find. It's not like, you know, on the you can walk into any city and go, hey, I wonder where the Italian food is, or let's get Mediterranean. You're staying in a boarding house. And Louis Armstrong had the thing of like... There's two unions in town here. Yeah, 767 and 47. Yeah, what was that about? The enlightened musicians even had... You know, and and this this was the only city, Los Angeles was the only city where Louis Armstrong ever got thrown in jail. So think about it. But Louis Armstrong had the thing of, I will smile through anything, and you will not kill me. But people tend to forget that, you know, when, when Faubus came down with all his, yeah. you know, evil. You know that Mingus? Oh, yeah, Fables of Faubus. But let me tell you something, man. When that was going on, Louis Armstrong was on the front page of the newspaper calling Faubus a thug, which for a, quote, black man who knows how to keep his place was unheard of. I mean, Louis Armstrong was a strong, strong cat. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. I love his playing, his heart, his soul. I guess he was a... Uh, learned off the guy King Oliver or something? Yeah, King Oliver was kind of... stuff? Yeah, well, he played on the riverboats. He learned from, from Joe King Oliver. And um, he was also... And this is an interesting thing. Louis Armstrong left thousands of pages of diaries and memoirs. And, you know, when he first got some money... Remember, this is like a black kid who spent his time in reform school, you know, the whole thing. Roughly around the turn of the century. First thing he goes out and buys is a record player and a typewriter. And he wrote down all these memories of New Orleans. And he's the only eyewitness account by a trumpet player we have of Buddy Bolden's trumpet playing. And Buddy Bolden is, you know, the first jazz musician that anybody calls a jazz musician. But there are no recordings of him. So for an actual trumpet player to say his sound was like this, he played like this, and these were the tunes he played, is a major historical coup. You know about the word jazz? There's all kinds of theories about Here's the word the jazz. Here's the theory I heard, short for a jasmine, because uh, casa de putas, <laughs> can't smell. So, and then also there's a lot of sounds going on, so they... Not record players or radio yet, so they needed cats to play all the time, and so the improvising came out. Well, that's why, if you notice, the first bunch of uh, Louis Armstrong Hot Five records are like, you know, Mahogany Hall Stomp. Well, what do you think Mahogany Hall was? Uh, Mahogany Hall was a house of questionable repute. Um, you know, and there were a lot, you know, Black Horse Stomp by Fletcher Henderson, also a house of questionable repute. I, I submit the now, House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, well, I've been there. You know, anybody who's taken the the coach tour in New Orleans has. They pointed out, you know, there's the House of the Rising Sun. You know, it's, it's funny the lead belly. I mean, everyone knows the animals, right? Yeah. I guess there was a, a frigid pink. There was a cover of the animals version. Yeah. Uh, but the lead belly version is so because he played this twelve. I think yeah. he had high action. Yeah. And it's like jumpy and happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever heard Gallus like- Pole, you know, it's a song about a guy getting hung. And it's like, woohoo, get the Gallus Pole. <laughs> Read me my rights. Hey, you know. <laughs> the bourgeois blues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But his style, you know. He was. He was, blues was a. He was a wild guitar player, you know. Yeah. Blind Lemon Jefferson. Interesting thing about Lead Belly, though, and think about this. All the blues singers that we have records of, 
Up until Lead Belly, all we have them doing is singing blues. But we know that these black singers were being hired by white people to entertain white society. And as a result, we know that they knew certain other kinds of music. But Lead Belly was the first one. the room. What's that? Worked the room. Yeah, Lead Belly worked the room. So he was the first cat that we had when Lomax recorded him. He said, play everything you know. And again, as a result, because of... Shut your leash off! God damn it. (laughs) Plus, he was always in prison, too, so he used to use his songs to get favors and stuff. Right, but when he he was out on the outside... He socked somebody to death. Yeah. Well, he had an enormous scar across his neck. But with Lead Belly, he's the first guy that they recorded everything that a blues guy knew. And that's where we get Dancing with Tears in My Eyes and Gallus Paul. All this different kind of material. And these are kind of the missing links of our American music. You know, the the thing that ties white people to black people, which is usually one of them hires the other to entertain the other. Yeah, Lomax. Don Fleming's working for his, like, foundation that went and archived a lot of Yeah. It's a really like important and very misunderstood chapter in American music because everybody wants to talk about authenticity. But the, the funny thing is the minute you want to make a dollar in this business... You get less less authentic because business. you want to be able to Elvis, cross. Did you ever see a Louisiana Hayride where he starts to say business, but then he says racket? Yeah, racket. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot I wish it was a business. <laughs> but I mean, like the, you look no, at whoever stayed authentic, and they couldn't even work across the street. Or, or somebody <laughs> like me, as crude as me, that is not very authentic. But there's so much blues in my playing. I always just thought of you as playing the authentic Mike Watts San Pedro style, just like, you know, when you hear... But I mean, um, there's a lot of blues. Yeah. Because I learned maybe from England, rock and roll, uh, Entwistle and Bruce. Sure. And and this is the thing we were talking about last week, me getting this uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and there was a lot of fusion players. Mm -hmm. And uh, that music, it's kind of if you're watching a talk show... Uh, those kind of sounds or commercials and stuff and I I notice I brought they asked for my missing man so I have a band of two longshoremen here in Pedro organ based drum trio and it's got so much more blues not on purpose just the way it comes out the way it came out they uh, yeah it is an authentic US music blues I think and uh, I think the U.S. people in the early 60s kind of lost it, and the England people had to show it to them again. Yeah, sure. Right. You know, and then uh, and what happens, like the next major blues soloist really is Eric Clapton. Yeah, I was going to say. And, you know, then the next generation from America. he comes out of there's Peter Gray. Yeah. He's, he's already coming out of a tradition in England, though, Mayall. He's, he's yeah. apprenticing. But Peter Green is like well, another well, guy. Peter Green's a little later. Yeah, but like, can you explain right, Carlos right. Santana without Peter Green? No, no, of course. You know the song. Not as good so. a song you know, and then what happens is the next generation of American electric players has, you know, is coming out of Cream and is coming out of yeah. Hendrix, right, right. and that's how you know that's why we still have blues is because Which, it's not just locked into um, 1947 or, or whatever year you want to pick. Although that 20s said, with Charlie Patton or something. Well, I mean, that said, though, I think the minute you lose your connection, one of the reasons I just find myself playing less and less jazz is because it's just it feels so much like it's lost the connection to what I feel is the thing, which is like that Count Basie 
notion of swinging, like four quarter notes just lifting you up, almost like water coming up under you. Like it's it's a hard thing to explain, but I know what it I know what it is when it's missing from what I'm trying to do. You know, in Trenton though, you hear a lot of blues. Totally, yeah. I mean, but anybody even when he took it out to that sheets of sound thing. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, you listen, like, any player that knocks you out that contains some element of improvising, whether you're talking about Derek Bailey or E-Sharp or Zorn or whatever, there's some reference to the blues. Oh, that's funny you say that, because I I was in a tour last February in Japan, and I got to play with, the first gig in Tokyo was uh, with Han Benick. Oh. And this cat, he knows that scene, that avant-garde, and he was telling me about... They got their shtick and their hustle, and no blue notes. Yeah, and I'm like, what? what do you mean no blue notes? Because they're trying to get away from the American thing. It's a lot like, uh, like if you look at like about 1910 in France, there was this bunch of guys in English. It's the six, you know, Honegger, Palenk, Mio, and all this. And what they were doing is saying, none of this kind of counterpoint, none of that German stuff. Which, at that period in concert music and serious music, is almost like saying to an American musician, none of that blues stuff. Well, <laughs> you know. Tough. Yeah, it's really, that's our vocab. No, not anymore. And Benick was like, no, whatever. Yeah. You know, work the room. Well, Benick also, you know, he played with Bill Evans. I mean, he had a very he played conventional. With all, Adolf. Yeah, Eric but I'm Dolph. saying, you know, Benick could fit into the most conventional situation and be exactly the right guy for the job. Or. You know he could he could go into the next region. I mean he's a very deep musician. Oh yeah, he'll play the t- uh, tabletop. He'll play the tabletop. I mean he was great. But I bet he could stories. play Miserloo in a very straight ahead way yeah. too. Yeah, you told me about playing with Wes Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Beautiful mm-hmm. man. But he said this thing they were almost uh, reactionary against this. No no blue notes. Yeah. But then you end up with. Especially now, it's twenty or thirty years old. So yeah, and, and it's like watching a how movie that only has how, good guys in it. You know what I mean? When you only have like one kind of thing, it's like, yeah. oh well, you know, scary trip. That's what I liked about the punk thing. It wasn't a style of music. Well, I think Dee Boone said it up. Said it best. He said, you know, everything was everything was great with punk rock until you had to put on a uniform and join punk army. <laughs> and that's the that to me was so. Things are always better when you're making them up as you go along, and that's why I thought when punk rock kind of, you know, went its way. So like, yeah, the Ramones are kind of guarding this, you know, the the three chord bar chord hard right hand style, and then you see like Pill and the pop group and the Slits, yeah. and it's like, well, you know, we we don't hate the OJs, so we like that kind of bass playing, we like funky drums, yeah. and we like LKJ, Lincoln Queasy Johnson, so we like that kind of upfront bass. And then, you know, the guitar playing was totally different. And, I mean, to me, like, the pop group were just like, yeah. boing, you know. You should play some. I got some of them. Where they uh, took a Last Poets song and played along yeah. with it. You know that song? Yeah. The Last Poets called it E Pluribus Unum. And they uh, translated one out of many. Yeah. I guess out of many is one E Pluribus Unum. So they went backwards. They were on this. One of these magazines put out, um, had Iggy pick like 45 songs that would be on his ultimate jukebox. And yeah. he had one of theirs, Run, Nigger, Run. You know Last Poets, yeah, uh, first album. They're still around. Yeah, they are. In fact, there's two bands. 
Wow, it's like a very radical version of the Drifters or something. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Spector told me this great story. He's inducting, he's uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're inducting the Drifters. And, you know, there were two hit-making Drifters and then, like, 50 bazillion cruise ship Drifters. And they said, well, the members of the Drifters, please come to the stage. And every... He said every busboy and every waiter in there took his apron off and just went. (laughs) (laughs) Here, let's listen to Pop Group. Selfish desires are burning like fires among those who want to go. As they continue to keep the people asleep and the truth from being told. Racism and greed will keep the people in need from getting what's rightfully theirs. Cheating, stealing, and double dealing as they exploit the people's fears. And for a few dollars more, they start a war to exploit some of the more. Then there's the pyramid that stands by itself, created by black people's knowledge and wrong. And over the pyramid hangs the devil's eye. Means the treasure where they store the gold they stole, and amber means to punish or like the slaves they bought and sold. A then septent, a mean seven, or like the 1776, or when the 13 devils got to unleash their bag of tricks. A then seven, a means the images they created to fool the world, or like the colors on old glory, the flags that they unfurled. Of the Indian man, whites for the devils who stole the land, blues for the eyes that hypnotize, tricks and traps they spun, and even to this very same day they all speak with forked tongue. So the powers in the hands of the ruling class to play God with the fate of all the masses, so the people don't get any in the land of the plenty, cause E pluribus unum means one out of many.
But you know that chance withers on your lips as you sing many versions of your love poem. Torn alone in pages of night's tarnished wings of the angel flight. All the way up sunset's trip, as unlikely as Dante finding self-help programs in heaven, the lights of Los Angeles endlessly hang there, like a hustler's mad beads. Cast your spell on neon dye tonight, dark moon, for tomorrow that ounce of stardust will be wiped from Cadillac chrome, unnoticed by the freeway hawks. <coughs>
Watt from Pedro Show. Um, we just heard some live Minuteman. Is that right, uh, Mr. Styers? Yes. Can, I thought it would give a little flavor. That's that's from Mr. Styers' archive. Fine choice. This was from Berkeley Square in uh, the fall of '85, uh, and I'd strongly suggest anyone that wants to find some really great live music sets in their entirety to go to archive.org yeah which they're putting together the entire digital library and if you haven't checked it out um there you have there's a mic these are, there these Bob. Are soundboard uh, soundboard mixes um i think mike uh, you know yeah, just said okay on a couple there. of these but they would be from the stone uh they have some well this was bands. berkeley square in the city of berkeley california 1985 so near the end yeah Fall? But it gives a nice yeah, flow of this show is and really the songs, well recorded. Uh, we heard were Toadies, the Big Foist, and Retreat. Yeah, it gives a nice um, indication of sort of how you guys put together the three a songs set. off of um, Double Nickels on the Dime. They got that half step thing. They're kind of major. Minutemen would work in major stuff sometimes. <laughs> in fact. Funny we mentioned Angela because the yeah. big foist I wrote thinking when I, we, we we did that one I, I said D Boom will you sing like Jella yeah. and I got it was Black Flag it just took us to England and the the clock a uh, Parliament a big, big band? band yeah so the, the intro dan, dan, oh okay dan, dan. yeah <laughs> got <it from> <laughs> oh <laughs> fifths fifths by the, by the way you know Tuesday night or we're we're recording this just after. Uh, Democracy is set about to correcting the long national nightmare. But um, the, as I got off the plane, I was getting off the plane, you know, in time to, to start hearing, like, you know, the calls to the states. It was just 15 minutes before they called it for uh, Barack Obama. All I could think was, who won? I said the election. <laughs> you know, I was celebrating the fourth and oh, yeah. else's city. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that one. I felt like a gringo. We both, we, uh, us Minutemen went and to Rosarita Beach down in uh, Baja oh, yeah. and uh, Dee Boone wrote uh, Corona and I wrote I Felt Like a Green we we uh, had two songs come out of uh, our trip was that when you cut your hair? yeah we were ball headed and out in the ocean about seven hours and you know you gotta breathe and we had never cut our heads bald before so we got burned big time <laughs> P- Pelon Rojo yeah, well, it's, it's it's the punk rock affliction, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was because we had a gig with Joanna. Went, I met a guy. Petra had a gig. She she finally, her and Woody had been making this record for ten years, and they finally put it out. And she had a gig a couple weeks ago, and Joanna Wet's uh, husband was here. I I just remember I don't never knew what she did I just remember her from performance the performance artist slash. something yeah. with the yams I think that we was did a, a little while. I saw her a bunch she was very provocative yeah. or, or, or goat heads and by pulling it out through the wedding gown by the tongue things like this it was very you know, so, so just, Debo, it was Georgie's idea <laughs> it was actually Georgie's idea to do something as comparatively shocking so we but when me and Deboom we cut each other's hair we didn't know that you're supposed to use clippers first you know so we used this big razor and luckily I was first <laughs> but our heads looked like motocross track you know it was bloody play we get up there and Georgie didn't cut his hair all the way up. he just like buzzed it <laughs> Remember the first shot I took? It was like snowballs. 
Okay, and before that, we heard Charles Plymel doing Hollywood Boulevard. And before that was Matt Jones from Western Massachusetts, I think, with Manuscripts 2000 AD. And then from San Francisco, we heard Carolina with Red Lamp of Slow-Willed Souls. And we started off with a pop group doing One Out of Many, which is actually them jamming along with the last poets doing E Pluribus Unum. Uh, and uh, we're at the end of the first hour of the November 9, 2008 edition of the Watt from Pedro show. Hold tight for hour two. Uh, November 9, 2008, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Watt from Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with something uh, Mr. Skip Heller suggested, provided. Mr. Johnny Guitar Watson with Space Guitar. That's President Johnny Guitar Watson. Hi. Cool. <laughs> and uh, what, what do you want to say about that tune there? I Skip? just, I just, you know, if I have to pick five guitar records to take to a desert island, that just uh, that that's right up there. That and uh, I don't know. Is this from Mr. Phil's uh, collection? Oh uh, no, this is actually. Uh, I, uh, I've had that record for a long time. Uh, Johnny Guitar Watson is somebody that I discovered early on and just okay. loved from day one. And no credit to you, Mr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Phil likes him too. Oh, oh, uh, Johnny Johnny Guitar Watson. Let me tell you about oh, Johnny yeah, Guitar. Of course. <laughs> Didn't he teach uh, math? Phil, Long yeah. Beach State. Yeah, Phil is a. Uh, and, and if you, and if you've got three hours, he'll explain what it is he teaches to you. It's semantic theory as ah. mathematics. Okay. He's, he is literally he's, is he's a brainiac and then we heard uh, Bert by Solo Musica Italia yeah. want to talk about that it's it's a it's an instrumental I'm starting to make instrumentals right now this is uh, from you mm-hmm. and you on everything yes. hence the name Sola Musica yes. and uh, how long ago how long ago did I make this uh, about a month ago Okay, so it's kind of a recent thing. <laughs> so far, it's just one instrumental that I have. And then we heard your buddy Coco's band with uh, Aqua Vend. That's and right. the name of your band is Foxy Autopsy. So what, what do you want to say about your band and your song, Oh, Coco? that is the titular song off of the Aqua Vend. <laughs> <laughs> um. Man, props for good use of the word titular, young lady. <laughs> Which was a favorite word of mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we've done ourselves in like 05, I believe. One of my favorites. It's about water. I believe everybody should stay hydrated. And you're a Pedro band, so you're near the water. That's right. <laughs> so it's kind of, it has a re- regional orientation. Application. Better. Thank you, Brother Matt. <laughs> then uh, we heard. Something from Matt, your man, a nation fit for heroes, from which is damned. something brand new by the Damned. Yeah, heard it first here, Watford Beatles show. How'd you get a hold of it, Mr. Matt? I just they're selling it at their concerts, and I actually wanted to clarify. I know the Minutemen played Zillas with the Damned, and there were two really funny stories from that show. Uh, Captain Sensible uh, traded his punk leather jacket for. Some cocaine. And the other thing is, my brother, who's a total straight edge, walks out of Zilla's, walks out of the club, and there's a guy eating a girl out on top of a car, and there's 20 people around cheering. Oh, jeez. So, he must any, have been doing memory? it very, very well then. <laughs> any memory of that Zilla show tonight? <laughs> uh, not that. <laughs> Game to play. <laughs> hey, she said titular, and I just started rolling on all the unsavory stories. But that's because nobody dislikes the word titular. <laughs> now, people probably don't know this, Mr. Heller, that Tommy Ramone is doing bluegrass. Yeah, Tommy and his wife Claudia folks. have a really wonderful duo called Uncle Monk. And uh, my, uh, my bluegrass group... Uh, also, my jazz group played gigs with Uncle Monk, and that was kind of when the jazz group got fired, because I just kept trying to get them to learn, you know, 
more country blues type stuff. And they were going, gee, we want to play, you know, what jazz groups usually play. Too much democracy. Uh, no, when you pay them, they're not democratic. They just, they just come in and they're contractors. Um, but it just, I don't know, it's a hard thing to explain. But, you know, you got to do what you want to do, especially when you're not going to make any money doing what you don't want to do. You know, okay. there's, there's, there's no reason to sit around and make a living doing something you hate when you could do when you can eke out a living doing something you love okay and and word to the wise i never took a gig just for the money and had it work out okay <laughs> now how'd you get started on guitar um i used to watch the glenn campbell show and uh the glenn, between the glenn campbell show and the johnny cash show and the smothers brothers show this is back when if you saw somebody on tv playing the guitar they weren't lip syncing they were playing the guitar uh-huh. And Glenn Campbell had a, had a banjo player on the show named John Hartford, and John Hartford just mesmerized me. So what I wanted to do was grow up to play How guitar. Old were you? I was like three or four. Jesus, you remember shit like that? I will never forget shit like that. I can't remember I, anything. You know, um, I was I was blessed with a little bit of an early memory, but I just remember like pointing at that and going, "I want to play with him." And in later life. Um, how much later? Oh, I was maybe I was about thirty, I guess. But I got to I got <laughs> to know later. John Hartford and oh, wow. open for him, and you know, sit around with him backstage with a guitar and play his songs to him. And he picked up his fiddle and said, "Oh no, you want to do this?" Did chord, he wince? You know? Did he wince? Ah, uh, he was too gracious yeah, to wince. Yeah. He was he was um, <laughs> he scowled. <laughs> no, he he, he was sour ass. <laughs> No, he was he was not like that. Jerry Reed was like that. I was playing in the Country Music Hall of Fame once, and Jerry Reed walked by and gave me this look. And Errol Scruggs walks up behind me and goes, "Don't worry about that. He does that to every guitar player." Oh, wow! But like you were foul in the air. Yeah, well, I mean, like there are very few people on earth that can play the guitar as well as Jerry Reed. He's bad. Play. He was badass. He was the funkiest white musician this side of Jimmy Johnson, and. I gotta say, you know, it just it broke my heart until Earl Scruggs walks up. Don't worry, he does that to every guitar player. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, sure. So in between uh, you being backstage with him and the three-year-old thing with the television, how did you do the guitar? Uh, you know, just latched on to country music first. Okay. And Elvis, Elvis was my first concert. And uh, then in 1977 or 78, uh, I heard the Ramones, and that's when I decided I wanted an electric guitar. Oh, you weren't playing electric? No, I wanted to, you know, I was I was really interested in, uh, I wanted to be Willie Nelson when I grew up, you know, in so many ways. Because right. this is during the time when Merle Haggard and Dolly Parton and Tom T. Hall and Willie are really making their best musical statements. Buck Owens? No, Buck was kind of out of the picture at that point. Buck was on Hee Haw, and that didn't really... That's television. It was television, but the the interesting things on Hee Haw were usually if they had somebody like Loretta Lynn on. And Saturday nights, pretty much like you had in L.A., there was country music programming. We had Pop Goes the Country, the Porter Wagner Show, Wilburn Brothers Show, and that good old Nashville music. And most of those shows were live shows, so people weren't lip-syncing. So like you'd Roy see, Clark, he used Lawrence to play every show. Oh, uh, Lauren. Well, my grandmother watched Lawrence Welk, and that's where I first heard. No, I said Roy music. Clark. <laughs> yeah, no, Roy Roy Clark. I saw in Hee Haw, and he yeah. would he would play live, and all, there was an odd couple He'd play episodes. Play every show. Yeah, 
there was an Odd Couple episode with Roy Clark where he played his own version of Malaguano that was just incredible. Um, what about Chet Atkins? You like him? I did. One of the first records I had as a kid was one called Solo Flight, and that's yeah. just a badass record. I mean, anybody who's really interested in guitar playing could do worse than to seek that record out. But my overall favorite guitar player, um, you know, just on a country guitar player level, was a guy who played on Nashville Skyline. His name was Norman Blake. And, Bob Dylan. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Cash, Bob Dylan. Bob yeah, Dylan. Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash. He's all over the Oh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. <laughs> Plus, he made a lot of records in the 70s for Rounder that are just great masterpieces of guitar playing. And then kind of I went right from that to uh, trying to play like Johnny Ramone and Steve Jones. Right. and um, Johnny Thunders. Not so much him. You know who was like the first <laughs> guy I really tried to learn a lot of solos yeah. by in the world of punk rock or something like it? Andy Partridge on those first couple of XTC records oh, that yeah, was just yeah, like slam ben. yeah um, the, the, the playing on This Is Pop I mean everything on the first four XTC albums was amazing Mark Moreland on the Wall of Voodoo albums like one of the oh, most yeah. underrated yeah. guitar you know the band he was in before that The Skulls I know about The Skulls but I never uh, and you know I've well, since played with too. Stan Ridgway yeah. and uh you know, Stan was sort of. Uh, he said, "Well, you know, if you really like that stuff, let's hear you play back in flesh." Ha ha ha! Bang, 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 bang. You showed him. I shot. Well, I spent a whole summer in my bedroom with a copy of Dark Continent, learning that one out. And he was, he was like, "Want to be on my new record?" <laughs> and he, then he played me, made me play like Wes Montgomery. And then, kind of, the next big guy uh, was Andy Gill. You know, from Gang of Four. Oh, he just yeah, floored yeah. me. Him, Viv Albertine from The Slits. Because it was so radically different from... She played kind of like reggae. Yeah, but she also had some different stuff. She's a very you interesting know, player. Do you know the cat? There was a... I heard of somebody before the Gang of Four. Well, obviously the pop group mm-hmm. and those guys. Yeah. Garth and Waddington, I think, was the other guitarist. Yeah. But there was this blues thing in England called... Uh, Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. A guy named Wilco. Wilco, and there was... Um, and he kind of had that weird kind of guitar thing. He did, and there was another guitar player on that scene who wound up playing with Graham Parker, and his name was Brinchley Schwartz. Yeah. And, okay. you know... That was a tight group. Yeah, they, that was the thing, man. His guitar solos, they're like Dave Alvin's guitar solos, where, you know, they're not necessarily flashy. But they're difficult to learn, and they're very, very well placed. You know, these are people that just. My philosophy of guitar playing is like, you know, there are a lot. Of, I mean, I don't have Nels Klein's hands, so I can't just like flatten you with like that kind of statistical density. Yeah. And I don't have Frizzell's sense of, um, you know, shaping the notes and using effects boxes and painting with sound. So I just try to get in get out and make sure that what I put in front of you was the right thing to put in you know, front of you. Uh, kind of a Curtis Mayfield approach. Well, or I was thinking John Fogarty was... Fogarty is another one. solos, no... There's no fat on notes. There's no Yeah, no fat. Yeah, I... Uh, one was really into him. I, I just really always, you know, like... I think, kind of into Scotty Moore. We're all really into Scotty yeah. Moore. I mean, it's impossible to be a thinking person and not love certain portions of Elvis Presley's career. <laughs> Yeah, Elvis Presley's just—I mean—that was my first concert, and I'm still recovering from it. 
And, you know, you, you listen to, well, I have all those bootlegs of the Sun Sessions, and hearing how, you know, things developed, you realize Scotty Moore was just architectural. What, do, what don't you like about guitar? What makes you do a, a Jimmy Reed on something? What makes me do a Jimmy Reed on something? Usually if somebody does a Jimmy Page on something, you know? <laughs> no, I don't like... When I hear more notes, when, when I hear more notes than I can process... I don't like that. You know, it's like somebody... It's like when I hear a rap record where somebody's just freestyling way too fast and rhyming anything. It makes me want to go back and put on the Sugar Hill Gang because yeah. I can hear every word. And when I don't like guitars, when there's just too much of it coming at me. I mean, there are guys who can do very dense stuff that's got a lot of notes, yeah. but that it's got like a big swing and dick and comes in with attitude. And like, you listen to Eddie Van Halen on So This Is Love, and that's just like... When's the first time you heard Jimmy? When's the first time I heard Jimi Hendrix? Or yeah, my uncle had the record, so experience. yeah, um, he had Are You Experienced and um, that record. I don't remember if I heard that or um, Fire by Arthur Brown first, but those were two records that my parents didn't have. So when I was at my grandmother's house, I would put those on, and they were like this. Uh, it was like sneaky to me because they weren't like other records and if I got caught operating the stereo so it was a very nasty <laughs> evil little thrill but hearing if, if six was not or no sorry third stone from the sun oh yeah great bass line that dun, 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 and just that bang because when I first heard Andy Gill with Gang of Four I immediately related it to the the opening of that because I'm pretty sure that Armalite Rifle is based on the opening of that because oh, it's wow. that same chord before he goes into bum, ba, bum, bum, ba, 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 ba. so Hendrix was something to me that was like uh, as around as cartoons and it's only later in life that I went back and went like yeah. whoa was ubiquitous as this was that's right He's this is so sourced by everyone yeah I mean to, and the stuff that I'm that I look at and just go like or hear myself quoting. Did you, so did you ever words. listen to Funkadelic in the old days? Oh, hell, oh I grew up in Philadelphia. So, so Eddie Hazel? Uh, well, yeah. I was going to say Maggot Brain was just... Everybody's older brother played yeah. Maggot Brain. Um, my favorite was Uncle Jam Wants You. I just yeah. thought that was like one of the smokinest records. And Cosmic Slop. And of course, you know, Flashlight and Tear the Roof. and you know, all this Now stuff. you're in a trio, so you got a drummer? Yeah, it's drums, upright bass, and, and uh, bass. I'm mostly. So, what do you like about guitar. drummers? Um, good drum. My favorite drummers are always the ones that can hear something coming from a mile away and set it up and push it to the next direction. Uh, like the, you know, one of the drummers I always make my drummers listen to is is George Hurley, because yeah, George, George man could set up a groove and then just capsize it, and I love that. And the cut, the cut I always make him listen to, believe it or not, is "Candle in the Flame." Oh. I just always thought that was like perfect drumming. Levon Helm is another drummer I love because yeah. it's just like, here's the groove. It's just thick and it's like chocolate cake and whiskey. You just can't get up from it. And uh, what about bass? What do you like about bass? Uh, what do I like about bass? Again, who's your stand-up player? Uh, it's Paul Ekman, who was in oh, yeah. Bone Breaks group, uh, Orchestra Superstring. Oh, oh, who's your drummer? We didn't say. Oh, Dale Daniel, who was with the Hacienda Brothers. Okay. Usually, it had been Bone Break for years and years, or another uh -huh. cat named Howard Green. But Bone Break was on tour doing X this summer, and when Chris Gaffney died, the Hacienda Brothers cats were at liberty. And if someone's good enough for Chris Gaffney, they're just good enough. And Dale's been great, and we play up in Bakersfield about every week. So it's, it's about going, Slade. 
Buck Owens, Merle Haggard, when Stewart. Yeah, I believe me, I've I've got. So so, what do you like about bass? What I like about bass? Well, great bass players um, have a way of outlining the whole arrangement, not just keeping time, but putting the punctuation in the music. Here's the paragraph. Here's the sentence. Here's the, uh, you know, like the whole end-to-end architecture of the song. And if I was going to give you an indication, I would pick something like uh, California Girls by the Beach Boys. Because yeah. the way the, the bass Kay. frames that picture. Carol's one of the bass players on it. I used Carol on a couple of sessions, and she's just like wicked intuitive. She can look at a piece of music and know what you mean before she even knows what it sounds like. She's incredible. Yeah. Also, I'd say uh, McCartney's playing on Rain. Uh you're playing on um, Dream Told by Moto. It's just like so my That's just like such a weird bass line. And uh, you can't really play that song on the radio too often these days. But I was just like... You know, the last Fridays of the month in the old days, they'd test the air raid sirens. That's where that came from. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fridays. Last Friday, they were... And that one was right by Deep Boone's Pass, the projects at Park Western. And so... We had a buddy named... Yeah, but they don't use they it. They don't anymore. use them anymore. No, we had those. <laughs> and and no, those projects ain't there. It's but called Tarragona. No, all that got rolled over. There's track the sirens, now. The siren's still there. I doubt it. I doubt it. They rolled that whole thing. Well, there's one standing off of uh, Channel. Like, you know how Channel goes up? Yeah, but we were up at Battery in Park Western. Yeah. And the only part of Battery left... They even changed the names of the streets. They got big Spanish names now. We had Tarragona and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Camino's a meal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they pick... Yeah. You know how that development crap goes. Yeah. And, like... Because it was an old Navy housing, and so it had names of sailors and, like, battery, right? But anyway, uh, this guy, friend of ours, Danny Moto, he would always... It was the same... There was an actual Moto? His name was Danny Salvador because he was... His mother was from Japan, and we were such kind... Children. <laughs> well, yes, Danny, children are often tolerant. Danny used to call D Boone Fat Man right with his ma there. And so oh. Danny was Danny Moto. Okay, so. And so that was Danny's thing, was, you know. No, he had his theory. Look, let's say the missiles are coming, the bombs are coming, and the sirens going off. That means you could go and get women and you wouldn't get arrested for it because the war sort of like that part at the end of Dogma (laughs) (laughs) World War 3 when I first heard that that was so like like Danny we've heard this about 30 times every month you gotta hear this dream you know it's like you're kind of into it But of course we were just before we lose the thread on this the other bass line I just think if if you want to find out what I like about the electric bass listen to White Girl by X John Doe. John Doe and DJ Bonebreak on that record. Yeah, just uh, That was something that was an absolute... There's a lot of fifths. There's a lot of recorders. Uh, you played that, sh- that, good that show with DJ Bonebreak kind of side on scene uh, in Sierra Madre. Yeah, with a buddy yeah. of his, Chris. Yeah, Chris. That was really Chris good. What's funny is I was going, come on, do some old hippie jam. You know? so it it's kind of from uh, his neighborhood, right? Yeah, I grew up a few blocks from there in Sierra Madre. And, um, Not a lot of gigs. I think the only uh, volunteer fire department still in the county. Little... Well, I still think you, me, and you, me, and the bone breaker. And I mean, well, my next question is really really nice. together. What do you like about trios? What I like about trios, um, I'm one of those people that thinks the more people in a band, the less, the less intuitive the playing becomes. Three people is like the ultimate colloquy because nobody has all the 
the duties of rhythm or all the duties of harmony or all the duties of melody on them because you got three people that can and it can be any three instruments it can be organ guitar drums or oh that's interesting you say that because i was doing an interview with the german magazine specs and the guy was telling me that even with the symphony the human mind only concentrates on three things at a time Probably, I, I would, I would believe that. So but when I, you're hearing a big symphony, you're actually focusing in on these. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. And my, my thinking is just, you know, whether you're talking about the Jimi Hendrix Experience or X or the Bill Evans Trio, yeah. if you got three guys who really know the role of their their instruments playing together in the culture of their band, so to speak. Once I saw Tal Farlow, uh, Warren Marsh, and Tootie Heath. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. Yeah, well, you know, Tal is just one of the. I played with Tootie, and that was uh, the thing is like if you got three guys that really know their role amongst each other. Yeah. Um, all three things will, they kind of evolve their way to the surface in the hands of different musicians, and that that's why I like trios. It's just the intimacy. Well, what about the, duets? Uh, it depends on who you're playing duets. Well, with. you're going to do one now with Brother Matt and Spence. <laughs>
So much, Skip. Yeah, cool. I apologize for us the... that had to sit through that. <laughs> that's too. That's way too long a guitar solo, especially out of me. Well, you got to. I was going to wear my overalls, and then I thought nobody else will be wearing overalls. And now we're at the end of uh, second hour of November 9th, two thousand eight. Watch from Pedro Show. Hold tight for hour three. November 9th, 2008, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Mott from Pedro Show. Um, started the third out, third hour off with uh, Benefit for Mr. Tight by Nino Trinka. You wouldn't know what that means. <laughs> Nino Trinka? I know it doesn't work, but at least I don't like ignorant guy in the show, you know. No, Quimby. I'm going to talk to you in a second. Let me say the songs. Then after that, we had uh, Samantra Itu by Golden Monkeys, and then Memory 4AM by uh, Takeshi Neshimoto, and finally. We had Stay Don't Go by Hoa Trang An, which means Ancient Flower of Hanoi. These are some ladies from Vietnam that play their traditional music. Mm. Now, Guido. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Guido's terrible. Giovanni. I'm sorry. Giovanni. No, in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, Giovanni. Huh? Giovanni, yeah. <laughs> what does the meaning Allure. of Guido is? Guido's a generic term for an attack. Yeah, sounds okay. bad. Yeah, like you guys might say U.S. guys are Joes. Okay, or Yankees or whatever. Actually, there are guys in Italy named Guido, though. So when you hear that, it's like whoa. Father Guido sort Yeah, so Guido is find the pops in at a pizza. Not a total pejorative. But anyway, you're on a tour. Yeah, I'm finishing a project uh, on cities I started to do in New York in 2002. Yeah. And so I'm traveling around cities. I'm traveling around cities. Right, and you got hooked up through this couch surfing? Yeah, I just look at on couch surfing and... Uh, Couchsurfing.com, and so you're touring. How do you get from town to town? Uh, I, I actually just live in France, uh, nearby Luxembourg, took a plane nearly directly to Los Angeles and yeah. just well, landing. What's your next target? My, uh, that's actually Los Angeles is like my last target the of final. a project. I just will do a little bit of Las Vegas. Ah. But uh, so that, not a whole lot of that's couch. kind of a parenthesis. <laughs> no, it's not a lot of couch, no. Okay. But it's a long you don't time in a single me. couch. <laughs> yeah. And I have to thank Pig for that. It's yeah, just Pig, righteous and generous. <laughs> come, come, cow. Okay. Come. <laughs> That means you have <laughs> How do you say thank you? Capcom cap. Huh? Capcom cap. Capcom cap. Yeah. The ladies say it different than the guys. Yeah. Ignorant of Thai. What? Yeah. Slow learner. Slow learner. But yeah, couch surfers have different purposes. Your body's just here for one project uh, um, for three weeks. And, uh, well, that's, what, that's all I got to say, you know. <laughs> Some people, like, traveling around the world, like, that, uh, there was a car surfer that just left. I, uh, I had another one that Yeah, was, Mark Stangroom. Uh, no, 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 another In between. <laughs> Together. <laughs> There's a lot of men in her life, why? The car surfer goes. On her couch in her life. But that, but that can't you be all you have to, you wish. That, you, that can't be all you have to say. You must have some kind of beef... Not, not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last one actually kind of contacted me like, I need a couch tonight, right? I'm like, what, wait, 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 no, <laughs> wait. So he comes, he comes like the following day, which was Saturday, Friday, actually, I have three that night, <laughs> all over the place. But uh, 
But yeah, that one actually was interesting. He he's he's like on this crazy trip where he's only like he hitchhiked. He he spent a night in each city and going, you know. He got certain rules he could travels by. I don't know if he's safe. I guess I don't know. No, <laughs> only one night here. <laughs> yeah, no, because I think you know he was just kind of on the move, and then he'd be in China um, in the, by next week or something, but. So you have an issue with their safety? Uh, I don't have. Are you trying to make me flip out on top? I think that's what you were trying to do. I was like, it's like, like the deal here is like, um, we went to um, spend uh, the evening of the election day going around to different places to see the reaction of people. And actually, I'm a little bit disappointed, but it's what it was. What it was, we were waiting for pizza. You want a Nuremberg <laughs> <laughs> what? What no, the beans or what? Our subtle nerd. Yeah. <laughs> or what? Tact. I don't know what you just said, but anyways. They didn't know it was a boring yeah, show. This is joke. the first show since the. Uh, yeah. Oh, the beauty contest. <laughs> we went to the Democratic. Uh, the Democrats uh, official party in. Uh, Politburo? Century City. <laughs> Well, that was your problem. You went to Century City, not Inglewood. Right. <laughs> one of my, one of my, I live in Inglewood. One of my neighbors like calls me up, holds them, listen to Crenshaw Boulevard, oh, wow. and it sounded like James Brown live at the Apollo Volume oh, One out nice. there. It was yeah. slamming. I had a gig in uh, Long Beach, and I was driving there to D Piazza's, and there was a cat, a younger man, maybe early twenties. Young black man, kind of, uh, um, you know, assertive like, okay. thing, but he was waving a flag, a U.S. flag, oh. and he was into it. Well, how often do you see a, peer, a, a moment in American history, or I don't, I can't really say anything about the rest of the world because governments turn in the rest of the world. Um, you know, France every few years, it's like new government, almost a whole new country, but in this country. You know, it doesn't really work like that. So to see a lot of young people <clears throat> showing up to vote and being optimistic instead of going, yeah, they're all crooks, who, who gives a, you know, it, like, and to see these assertive young people going, why aren't you registered to vote? That's good. Was like, well, you know you I have- went to the polls early and uh, when they opened at seven and there was a lot of people. My first election was Jimmy Carter and... Uh, Jerry Ford in 76 mm-hmm. and so I've been through a few of them and it was a lot different waiting in line there was a lot of folks it seemed that hadn't been part of the dealio well you have Bush to thank for that I mean without the yeah. years and years of all this crap that's going on people haven't been you know wouldn't be motivated to get involved so much what do you think of Cynthia McKinney uh, uh, huh. Well, I, I have my own ideas about the um, extremists on the on the left too, because um, I I kind of firmly believe on um, Obama just because he was a little bit more centrist, and I think we needed that to bridge all the differences that we have existing. Mm-hmm. We can't just uh, swing from one side to the other and expect everything in between to fall into place. We need somebody to actually sort of, you know, cushion it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynthia McKinney has ideologies that I admire extremely, but I just feel like it's not it's not going to work if you 
you try to swing to. So yeah, peak is, peak is really right here. I mean, like one of the things. You know, people with funny clothes get to come to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, but, but here's the so other side the of boat. it is, yeah. you know, pragmatism will out over. Well, a pragmatist will always win over an, an ideal and an, an ideologue, because an ideologue is walking in there with what you should do. A pragmatist is somebody who walks in there and goes, "What do we need to?" Yeah, get but done? I thought the slogan was change and stuff. How do you well, change if you don't? A good plan today is better than the perfect plan tomorrow. You know, think about this. As we sit here, it's 76 days before Barack Obama takes office. So he can have all the meetings he wants. He can have all the referendum, press conference proposal, this, that, and the other. But somebody else is still at the switch. And 76 days when Rome is on fire, you know, is 76 days when Rome is on fire. It could be an eternity. Yeah, exactly. They have notions of doing things. I mean, like... Mm -hmm. These executive orders to uh, permanently overturn certain environmental, uh, yeah, you know things that. That's a can he tell? I'm waiting for them to. The imperial. Why presence. can't he turn them back? They make it really hard to do that. Yeah, the the way the way law is written means well, you have to vote control, on turning. His party's it back. got control of the Congress. No, is but he's, he's up the executive powers to where they can't be overruled. It, it is oh, like yeah. a, no, the mud documents the Constitution. They haven't had any shown any respect for the Constitution. I mean, Bush yeah, would be yeah, signing a new bill into law and adding stuff. But they're out. You're well, still, you know, the the one they thing that you under the Supreme Court to back their their issues. So when it comes to that, and it goes to the Supreme Court, it's, it's the same guys who turn the stuff over are the same guys you have to answer to because we're not talking about pieces of legislation now. We're talking about laws with precedents. And you have to go to the Supreme Court, who are the same evil, oh, heartless process. fuckers that the way know, I was taught civics is Congress makes laws, and then people if they find them unconstitutional, bring them to the court. The executive branch is there to carry out the law of the land. Now I think it's got blurred, and people don't talk about. It. They talk about the president's leader and stuff like that, but he can make uh, decisions and stuff but people can take those to the court right but you still the problem is you're going to the same court that said okay we find this we find this law this way to be constitutional yeah. and you are not going to get those guys to overturn some shit they said 6 months ago that's like hey we were wrong 6 months ago yeah. you know and this is why of all the duties that president obama will have none will be more lasting than the appointment of Supreme Court justices. Mm -hmm. And this is like a very important thing in the age of Prop 8, in the age of, you know, right-wing extremists challenging Roe v. Wade, and on down the line. Well, Prop 8 was a referendum brought to voters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't an But you usually order. don't come in with something that tells you what you can't do. Um, right. So are they going to, you know... It's Overturn voting rights. Well, I that's mean, the thing is, it is really you know, unconstitutional. First of all, totally. law is not something you vote on. That's what the Supreme Court is there for. Mm -hmm. Like them or not, they're the ones who say we know the law. We Congress are the makes the law, and then you vote for the representatives that are in Congress. Okay, yeah. but but when you have theory. to take it into somebody when, takes it, they they find it a problem with it, so they take it to the, court. the Supreme Court. Yeah, and what they say goes. Now. Yeah, but there's... And that's it. There was, last year, California challenged its ability... California wanted to use its ability to say states' rights on stricter pollution controls, 
Supreme Court voted eight to one to strike that down and say, no, mm -hmm. you don't. Mm -hmm. And yet these were some of the same people bef many years ago before they were in there that thought states' rights were, uh, you know, the thing. I, well, they should be, really. But So they came in and just said, sorry, California, you have to follow the federal. And there's no appeal on that. Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere the, else to go with the, it. The, the Supreme Court. No, somebody the makes another law, right? And then it'll go before the court again, and this stuff happens all the time. Yeah, and look how long it takes to make to that stuff happen. That's right. So I think they want things to kind of move slow too, so things don't get too carried away. That's another thing is that you know it's it's basically like leaving the the first chamber of your gun blank so you don't miss fire. You know, you got to think before you take the shot. So all the things we're talking about don't happen quickly. And well, you know, you're President Obama. You're you're basically walking in to lead a country that's on fire from five different, you know, the trees are on fire, the road is on fire, hell, the river's on fire. Which one do you put out first? And I got news for you. You know, like, Prop 8 is not even going to be on the second page. I think he's his job as commander-in-chief of the armed forces, so there's some decisions there that probably... Yeah. No, that stuff's on the, for, on the first page. I mean, that's too. part of his job description. Yeah. Commander-in-chief. Uh -huh. The military, when you join, you take an oath to defend the Constitution. Well, what's happened the, the last few <laughs> years is the guys put their hand on the Constitution and defend the Bible. You know, we got to switch that back over. And take the fifth. And, well, and he can make uh, decisions. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it. To, to bring to. the money up, you know, the Congress has to okay the money. I mean, it's, yeah. it's what's it called? Separation of powers, we'll checks see. and balances. Yeah, checks and balances. Right now we have to deal with reality. But yet, Obama could come out and say we need some of these WPA-type programs, mm -hmm. which could have a double-bang effect, for instance. I mean, we're going to see more collapsing bridges. You know, there was a sinkhole yeah. in Pasadena, yeah. this thing in Minnesota, where that's infrastructure, yeah. and that is falling apart, too. And so, if you're going to try and yeah, create jobs... Yeah, you got jobs, this weird role that's to, not... Uh, the president, oh, he or her, the president got a role that was not in the Constitution. You present a budget. Yeah. That's not in there. But they no. They do that to try to bring a focus or something, I guess. Well, it's also Money's all supposed to be dealt with. Con See, this is the thing. I think in the elections that get left out is just talking about how the game is supposed to work. We look at them as just figures and, and slogans, and we don't really have an understanding of how the government works. Mm -hmm. And so people, they, uh, they're voting for people. They don't really know their jobs. It gets strange. All of a sudden, they represent all kinds of things, but personalities, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, one thing I hope about the election, though, is people who didn't win uh, don't get too angry and disenfranchised. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think they will, just because we got a guy who knows how to speak to people. Yeah. You know, and I think that's an important thing. The other thing is, I mean, much respect to John McCain. When somebody tried to shout out or yeah. shout down, you know, the the notion of President Obama as he was giving the the consolation speech, he said no and made sure to use the term my president. You know, he was very gracious. If he had been yeah. that guy on the campaign trail, we might be all having a group suicide party thinking, oh, God, Sarah Palin. Well, his campaign, campaign was, was really bad. I um, think Bush's speech, too, saying this guy won. Yeah, no, he was probably the best speech that I heard from him. Yeah, but he seemed extremely sincere. He did, one in the few times. But McCain was running this Before his damn dog bit a reporter, which I thought was the... So it's kind of it's kind of trippy. <laughs> but McCain was I'm glad people are talking scary, about yeah. how power is dealt with mm -hmm. in the United States and not just such. Uh, 
kind of abstract. Like I said, it's like facets of but let me, but let me, personality. Let me throw something down here. But yeah. I'm sorry, Peek, you go first. Oh, I'm just going to switch to how I am also amazed how international yeah. people are so excited about this person. Yeah, yeah, but that's because we're the biggest, baddest country there is. Yeah. And instead of a cowboy up front, we have like a guy who's actually going, I'll talk to anybody who I think can keep the yeah. United States safe. And I thought that was a very cool answer. Yeah. You know, well, so we going, become like the Russians when I remember going to Portugal in 1980, a weak economy, and you see the sickle and hammer tattooed everywhere that the Russians overreached. But now, I was in Greece when Reagan was elected, and they had their thing of him showing a peace sign. Um, with dual gun barrels, you know, he yeah. was seen as the next Hitler. And we now have become the ones that are going and taking over and trying to exert that ugly side. I mean, Guantanamo Bay, all that, that that's not an America people exactly uh, want to come to. And it, you know, is you're speaking about the abstractions of power. Like, forget the abstractions for a second. Let's actually demystify the job. You know, in other words, like getting rid of Gitmo. Dude, you know, this is a building. It's this is where this bad stuff is. I think his people are already talking about there's a need for it. Really? You think, yeah, I mean, will you be disappointed that happens? A need uh, for what? Get mo. What do you mean a need? I mean, there's a need to let the buildings at Dock House stand so we never forget what was done. No, no, Gitmo, no. they I need to clear out. No, no. That's a I'm rock certainly. about that. But Gitmo, um, what I'm is I'm talking it? about a functional... Yeah, part of the military. Yeah. Well, then they better have a good PR campaign. Yeah. Position <laughs> that we're not there to waterboard and hold people without charging them for years. I mean, How that's many? not the American way. One person? I'm just telling you. That might be the reality. Yeah. Well, that's, what do you that's do? Another, that's another thing, too. That's like Next really election, you, you're so more careful with your choice, you or so what? Many high oh, hopes please. that I'm, I'm afraid that people might not get everything they want and they you know people have like everybody seems to have like their own idea of what's a priority you know and they're going to start going like well when is he going to get around to our issue yeah they only you talk know, about a few every, topics everybody is so emotionally election. invested in this election that they feel like they're part of it and uh that's a good point yeah, well that's so, why the economy so i mean if people careful, can't don't have a job i mean i read today 14 the, the lowest, uh, highest job and unemployment rate in 15 years. That's, that's. I, I got laid off last. Underemployed. Night. <laughs> I'm one that's not seen as seeking work because I'm not on the charts because I do freelance and they don't see that. But underemployed, you know, not getting as much consulting yeah. or a lot of people. I just, if they actually Clinton changed the definition of unemployment. Um, mm. I read an interesting article. It's actually, it's really at about 14 percent, um, which is double what you know they have it at. Yeah. And, so you're thinking about things. That's good. Let's hear some more music. <laughs>
Watt from Pedro Show. Um, started off our last chunk of music for the edition, our early November edition of the Watt from Pedro Show with uh, Everything is Sinking by Yuko Amada. Then we heard Shit from Fury Curry. Then Belly of the Beast by Sunken Landscapes. Untitled number three by the Lost and Found Sound. Stay Low by Migration and Dar Phil- 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 Philosopher's Stone. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just a stupid fuck. <laughs> Dar Philosopher's Stone by Mr. Stephen H. Antonio. So I was very uh, inspired by guys enlightened in discussion and picked them songs accordingly. Uh, I'm optimistic. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that that pause was not reassuring. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, what's it mean? It means that uh, I'm optimistic that people's hopes are high and maybe uh, they'll get involved. Because I don't think... Uh, you can abrogate responsibility to a leader and expect things to really change. I think people, if they got involved enough to vote, maybe they get involved in It'll other stuff It'll be a participative too. democracy, maybe. I think that's what Obama's really... He knows he needs that. I mean, one man isn't going to do that. Well, I think now that people have found out that they can go vote, and they can do that, can and that they won't get arrested, and that fires won't break out, and that the earth does not crumble and the sky does not darken... They might actually go, you know, I have a stake in this. Uh, I want more or less of this in my neighborhood or more or less of this in my PTA or, you know. One of the ways the Republicans, you know, back in the, you know, back in the old Lee Atwater days, kind of came to power was to start at the extremely local level, precinct delegates, PTA and all that. And now that especially young people have gotten involved and can, have seen, like, we can get a president in there, Getting a mayor in there doesn't seem like such a big deal comparatively. And I think people, you know, acting on a local level, that that's the key to it. But sadly, I don't think there's too many people who are running for offices that have such a foresight on, mm-hmm. on the community level. You know, it's just still, you know... There's always somebody... In, <laughs> in, in every local election, there's somebody at some level that you look at and go, that guy's really cool. And I don't Maybe. think, yes, there is. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I've been astounded, you know, because I, I started voting when I could, the minute I could start voting against Ronald Reagan, damn it, my boots were on the ground. And there was always somebody that was either angry at the same stuff I was angry at for the same reasons or introducing some new idea that I had not thought of. And then there's also the thing of, like, bond issues and things like that which are community-centered issues. I don't think despondency or hopelessness are the things that are called for right now. I don't think, uh, well, what's the point? When There's not going to be another guy. Yeah, but when were they ever called for? No, but especially now that we have seen that we can do the impossible, which is to get a guy who doesn't look like the guy on your money into the Oval Office. Yeah, but I'm, I don't think it's all about looks. No, but I'm saying, you know, everybody said... You know, I mean, well, but I did because I, was, I called it a beauty pageant. I, I really don't think it's about it's looks. About looks. So, it's not about looks. I think you know, he entered in politics words that didn't exist in politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never heard a president 
doing a campaign on we instead of I. Mm -hmm. I never heard one one person running for president or prime minister saying dialogue. You know, he's using words that never been used in politics. He used hope, he used we, he used dialogue, and then he said one thing that no politician ever said in, in history is, I'll not be able to save this country in one mandate. Mm -hmm. I will not maybe even be able to save it in two mandates if you don't help me. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. how many politicians have been honest about Roosevelt? the shit we <laughs> are in? I mean, I live in France and there is a, a widget saying that yesterday it was a liberal and that only liberalism will be saving the world and there is the crisis and a week later it's like the state has to do everything and you know it's like he's changing his mind all the time in Italy we have an even worse widget that said that he's back in it's, that he's back in and 53% of people voted him and I'm ashamed of it and, and the guy is saying Welcome oh, to America, you know, 2004. You know, he just said, like, last time, oh, American new president is intelligent, handsome, and yeah, talented. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's my freaking prime minister. Yeah. You know, it's like... But you know what? You said that in the street, uh, in front of a guy, a black guy, and kills you, you know? It's just like, and he's prime minister and say that. It's On the other hand, thank you for Chickalina. I don't know. Um, I think the thing with Obama is that he appeared more presidential, and I think a lot of people lost sight of the race thing just because he seems like the kind of person you'd want. And now that we become more multi-ethnic, and it's the percentages you can see with LA Unified or anywhere else, the demographics are going that way, is now it's a question of more of the true melting pot, is that shouldn't matter anymore, it's about a common goal I, that people can unite around instead of being, I'm the divider. Yeah, but I hope, I hope honesty is the new marketing of yeah. politics you know <laughs> right. it's like it's all about marketing a product yeah and he's the first one marketed it as i'm honest mm. i do talk i tell you what i think mm -hmm. and i win well, so next time there is a guy smart. that will say yeah. you look i tell what i think and that's my truth and you said just before you know mccain may be lost because he wasn't the Honest and truth, McCain. Well, how many times yeah, you can know. you scare people with the boogeyman's hiding behind a bush? And, and he has. It's what worked like almost every election. And he's and a, he's a terrorist. <laughs> he's uh, it's too far, too radical. Okay, you know, okay. That, We're running out of time. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'd like to go on. And, and on goodbye, about. Sarah Palin. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to bring any of that. Up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would D. Boone have said? He'd have really been fired up. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Right. What would D Boone think? That's a great Always way to shut the show down. Uh, all you people, thanks for coming aboard, huh? Thank you for inviting yeah. me, Watt. Respect. It's been an honor. Tyler, Big Talia, Matt. Thank you for inviting the most beautiful women in all of Los Angeles County. Woo! That's us! <laughs> Damn right. And uh, Bob and Brother Matt, always, for Aiden and Abet. The Watt from Pedro Show, November 9th, 2008. Keep your powder dry.